Well, hey there. This is Kim Constable. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted podcast, the podcast by me, Kim Constable, about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. Now, today's podcast is definitely going to be more about strength, but not physical strength, more about emotional strength than getting sculpted. Because I'm sitting here, it is actually very late in the day to be recording this podcast. It's Wednesday evening. This podcast normally goes out on a Thursday. It is Wednesday, the, I don't even know what date it is. I think it's the 18th of March. And normally I record this podcast, um, well, I I normally record at least a few days in advance. I'm not really recording it this late, but I'm actually quite glad today that um, I'm not so vigilant with my podcast recordings doing them way in advance because it means that I can um, talk about things that are timely and bring you what you need uh, whenever you need it. And today is in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic and the, the fear around the coronavirus has really started to spread. And whereas people before were able to say, well, it's not really affecting us. And, you know, people didn't really know, you know, much about it. They were still able to go around or go about their daily lives. But I think that what's happened this week is with the, um, you know, the isolation and the government's response and the closing of restaurants and the closing of gyms and all that kind of stuff. It's not just about something that's, you know, affecting you a little bit anymore. It's about something that is affecting everybody. And unfortunately, with the closure of cafes and restaurants and people, you know, isolating at home and not going out and spending money, it's also massively affecting the economy. And I thought that um, I would do a podcast today talking a little bit about how to cope emotionally, um, some different strategies that you can use to um, to get through this and ways that you can just help yourself to feel better. Because I think that, you know, ultimately that's what all of us wants. All of us wants just to feel better. We just want peace of mind. You know, human beings are wired for certainty. We're wired for certainty. We like certainty. We dislike uncertainty. We like to, um, you know, tokenize things. We like to, you know, find patterns. We are pattern finders. We, We just like certainty. The brain is wired for certainty. The brain is wired for predictability. And whenever the predictability of our life leaves us, we're not really um, we don't really know what to do. This, these are not strategies that we're taught, you know, in school. They're not strategies that our parents teach us, unless you've lived through war, which many of our, you know, older grandparents, well, certainly if you're in your 40s, you know, our grandparents would have lived through the war, would have been, you know, had many things left over from the war, like being, you know, frugality and, and you know, will have remembered war times and other times were really, really tough. And we, you know, I used to listen to my grandmother talking about war times and kind of be like, oh, yeah, sounds terrible. You know, it's awful. And recently, you know, my dear grandmother, who many of you will know if you follow me on Instagram, she recently passed away. And I've been thinking about her a lot in these last few days and thinking about, wow, like I really did not, you know, pay much attention to her whenever she was, you know, would have spoken about the war and war times and how hard things were. Because really, you know, sitting there in, you know, my comfortable clothes and my comfortable, you know, living room on my comfortable couch, I really wasn't thinking about, you know, it was very hard for me to try on what, you know, what it was like in those times. And what I realized is every time she spoke about those times, it wasn't really that she was speaking about, you know, how hard things were, it was more the emotional uncertainty that probably went with those times that was actually so difficult. 
And so I'm sitting here today thinking about this podcast and I was going to do a podcast all about training from home um, and how to train from home because we have just added a full home training program to the 18-month Sculpt and Shred program. I've also just added a um, a home workout, a 90-day home workout with videos and everything attached. Um, you can go to our website, thesculptedvegan.com, and you can download that um, from the homepage. It's there free for everybody. I've been giving millions of free resources as much as I possibly can to help people through this. And this podcast was going to be about, about uh, working from home. And then I thought, no, I think that there's something much deeper going on here that really needs addressed. So that's what I'm going to um, I'm going to talk about in a little second. One thing I want to tell you about though is um, if you're listening to this before uh, Sunday the 22nd of March, I'm actually going to be running a free masterclass on Sunday the 22nd of March. Um, well, yeah, everyone's going to be at home anyway, so you may as well tune in and watch it because it's going to be online. Uh, so if you want to join in that free masterclass, I'm going to be talking about how to uh, burn stubborn body fat and sculpt muscular curves from home because it's not something I've ever done before because it's not something I've ever had to do before. You know, I've always been, you know, teaching people how to train in the gym, except now nobody can go to the gym and everybody still needs something to focus their energy and their efforts into. So I've decided to run this free masterclass to, um, to teach people all of the strategies and everything that they need to know about training from home. So if you want to sign up for that, again, go to our website, thesculptedvegan.com. You can sign up for that masterclass. There won't be a replay. You need to show up live. Uh, we don't intend to run it as a replay. It's a one-off masterclass, but you can show up for it. It's at 2 p.m. New York time, 6 p.m. UK time on Sunday, the 22nd of March, which incidentally is Mother's Day here in the UK, but I will not be celebrating Mother's Day. I will be teaching all you guys how to train from home. Lucky me. <laughs> no one joking. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. So let's go back to what we were, um, what I was just talking about before. And I, whenever I was sitting down to plan this podcast, episode like I always write out a title whenever I plan these episodes I write out a title something that I want to talk about and then I will write down you know a point that I want to make and then a story then a point then a story and I try and you know, always illustrate all my points with stories and I was thinking what am I going to call this podcast episode and I still haven't really decided what I'm going to call it as yet but the first thing that I wrote down on my page when I was planning it was the opposite of sadness is not happiness it's gratitude Many people don't know that. Many people think that the opposite of sadness is happiness, but it's actually not. It's gratitude. Um, and you will generally find that if you sit down and think about all of the things that you are grateful for, your whatever negative feeling it is that you're feeling, whether it be sadness or whether it be fear or you know depression or whatever, if you really focus on gratitude and all of the things, all of the things you have to be thankful for in your life, it completely transforms your physiology. But also what I wanted to talk about as well, I'm going to go back to that in a second, is, is about um, human beings' need for certainty in our lives. And it's funny, this was illustrated to me first uh, a few years ago whenever I started um, radically unschooling my kids. So here's what happened. We, whenever our kids were younger, we have four, four kids, three boys and one girl. And whenever the two boys were older, I, um, I was a very tr kind of traditional parent years ago when I, I I had enforced bedtimes and I had, um, you know, meal times were observed and it would have been, no, no, you can't have this, you know, you can't have this until you have this. No, you can't have a snack before dinner because dinner's coming. I was definitely much more of an authoritarian, you know, parent. That's how I had been raised and that's the only way I knew to parent. And so um, whenever I 
discovered radical unschooling, my two boys, um, I had decided to send them to the Rudolf Steiner School, which is a kind of a more of a an alternative kind of school. It's not a traditional school. Um, they they learn a lot more through play. It's a much gentler philosophy. They don't learn to read or write until they're seven, all this kind of stuff. So I thought, you know, I I had I always had this kind of alternative mindset um and it's and I've always had the juxtaposition of being a very you know traditionally raised like I went to boarding school myself I went to um you know a a, a good um upper school and and I I was all, I was raised very traditionally myself but I've always been the outlier I've always been the person who challenges the status quo I've always been the person who um who thinks differently than everybody else and so I had done a lot of training over the years you know, as I, before I had kids, kind of in my 20s, I'd done a lot of personal work. I'd, I, I'd really begun to, you know, I'd, I started to work with a coach and I'd really begun to dig deeper into what makes me tick, where I came from. And and the more I, I worked on myself and my limitations, the more I realized that um, part, many of my limitations that I had as an adult came from my childhood. In fact, all of them came from my childhood. The postulates that I had built as a child, the way I'd been raised, you know, times I'd been punished um, by, you know, parents or teachers, um, all of that stuff. And so I decided that, you know, I was going to be much more mindful of how my children were raised. And so what I did was I I decided that I would um, send them. I always liked the idea of homeschooling, but it always scared the shit out of me, to be honest, because I was like, listen, I (laughs) I can't even spend like an hour with my kids like wanting to rip their heads off so why the hell am I ever going to have them at home with me all the time homeschooling them no way like I always loved the idea I was I always would have loved to have been one of those parents you know one of those real kumbaya parents you're like a craft mom my friend and I Pam we always laugh and I always say to her, you see, you are a craft mom, you are a craft mom. And she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not. And we're always laughing because we are so not those kind of parents. I love spending time with my kids. I love taking the place. I love doing stuff with them, but I'm definitely not a craft mom. I'm not like one of these simple, really beautiful, wholesome moms that I would I would have loved to have been. I am definitely not that kind of mom. But anyway, I digress. So um, I always had this idea that I wanted to homeschool my kids, but of course I never thought that it would have been possible because um, I, you know, I, I never wanted to punish my kids because through doing all my own personal work that I had, you know, done for myself, I realized how bad it was to control and punish kids. I realized how controlling I was as an adult. And the reason why I was controlling was because how I was controlled as a child. So, you know, how we are treated as children is basically how we are as adults. And, you know, underneath control is always fear. It's always either fear of consequence or fear of doing something wrong or fear of not being good enough or whatever. So we have all these control strategies because when we're punished for something, we get fearful and then we develop, you know, a control strategy around that thing so that we we don't have to be punished anymore. And even though we're adults and then we apply logic to our, re, you know, we have all this logic. We're like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense that I feel that way. We still feel that way and we still act, you know, we're still animals at the end of the day. We're animals running around with logic, right? We're basically children running around with adult heads. Um, but, but, you know, we're driven by our feelings that are that are built whenever we're a child. So I decided that I didn't want to send my kids to traditional school. I sent them to Rudolf Steiner School. And then but it was so hard because they didn't want to go out, you know, they didn't want to go to school every morning. They, you know, they didn't really like school. Like, I don't know any child that actually enjoys getting up in the morning, at, you know, early, getting into their uniforms and, you know, and, and it, it was just stressful in the morning. See, so trying to get them, like, this is the two older older boys, They're trying to get them dressed in the morning, trying to get them out the door, trying to get them with their shoes on. Kai, my second son, was so sensory with his feet and his hands and he detested putting shoes on. He, Kai actually went barefoot almost everywhere, even in the snow, um, 
for for most of his young life until he was about eight or nine years of age. Corey just hated the school. Corey was just a free spirit. He hated being controlled. He hated you know not being able to question things that the teacher told him. You know he he just did not enjoy it. And he didn't enjoy a lot of the activities either. He found them pointless. He was like, why do I have to bake bread? I have no interest in baking bread. So he's always been a very logical thinker. Of course, having me as a mother, I've always like spoken the way I speak to you guys in the podcast is kind of the way I speak to my kids. <laughs> so I speak to everybody. So I'm always logicing things. Uh, you know, lot making things making sense of things in my mind. So anyway, um, I found it increasingly difficult whenever I was sending my kids to school every morning. I was forcing them out the door and I was like, you know, and I was find myself bribing them and cajoling them. And by the time we, you know, got them out, Ryan would have taken them to school most mornings. But and I was at home with the two little ones and they weren't old enough for school yet. And so by the time I got actually got them to the door and, you know, and I just felt like such a bitch. I felt so stressed and I felt so awful for having to bribe them and push them and go on and come on. I was always, you know, pulling them along and trying to get them into their coats and I was doing all of these dances and not dances, but, you know, all of these fecking strategies to try and make it pleasant for them and try and, you know, and move them with joy and happiness rather than punish them. Because if you're trying to get a child to do something they don't want to do, you have only two options. You can distract them and make it fun and make it a game, or you can just say, get the fuck out. <laughs> you just punish them, right? But And I hated being that kind of parent. I detested it. It made me feel so bad about myself, but I didn't know any other way to do it. And then one day I, or one evening, um, a friend of mine sent me um, a, a uh, uh, video and she said, you know, she actually was asking advice about her daughter. And she said to me, oh, you and she said, Dana Martin are, you know, my kind of parenting gurus, right? And I was like, really? And she said, yeah, yeah. She goes, That's, you know, anytime I ever, I'm struggling with something, I always think, what would Kim do? What would Dana do? And I said, who's Dana Martin? And she said, oh, you should look her up. She's amazing. So um, she said, like, she is one of the most phenomenal beings I've ever met. So anyway, I went on Dana's website. Dana is D-A-Y-N-A, Dana Martin. And I went on her website and um, I had a look around and I thought, oh, she looks nice. And and uh, so anyways, she had a, a video on there of her on Wife Swap, right? On the TV show Wife Swap. So American show. And I was like, oh, fuck, I hate that program with a passion. And I was like, she was on this photo. So I thought, I'll, I'll sit here. This was about 11 o'clock at night. I would normally be in bed by 11. And I thought, I'll sit here and watch it for, you know, five minutes. So I clicked to watch Wife Swap. And she had the episode on her um, website. They've made her take it down since. So it's not on there anymore. I clicked to watch it. And from day one, from, the, from minute one, I was absolutely engrossed because Dana embodied everything that I wanted to be in a parent. She, her kids, she talked about the philosophies of radical unschooling. Her kids had never been to school. They had never been punished. They had never been, um, they had, they chose their own bedtimes. And I remember her saying clearly, like, if they want to jump on the trampoline at 2 a.m., they totally can. And I remember being like, oh my God, that sounds like absolute fucking chaos, but it sounds amazing at the same time. You know, this was like, I didn't even know that this existed. I was like, you can let your kids be free? You can let them be free? Like, you don't have to punish them? They don't, they don't have to be in bed at like 7.30 every night? They don't have to eat up all their food? You can allow them, shock horror, to eat the food that they enjoy eating without forcing them to eat food they don't want to eat? You can, I was like, a, a life without rules, without enforcement, without control, it it sounded it sounded chaotic in a way to me. Like it sounded not chaotic, it sounded scary. But it, I knew in my heart of hearts that this is what I'd been searching for my whole life. I knew that this was how I had to parent my children because I was a person who hated rules, who hated control, who hated being in boarding school, who hated being in school. I did. I thought school was the most pointless 
place I had ever been in my entire life. Learning about the most pointless shit. I had no interest in learning. Pythagoras's theorem and, you know, and, and cumulus clouds and all these science experiments. I was like, this is so pointless. Why the hell am I here? I detested school and everything you had to learn. And so it really just, but I just sent my kids to school because of course, that's what you did. You just send your kids to school. You don't question that you hated it and thought it was pointless. Everyone sends their kids to school, so you send your kids to school. So the fact that this woman was standing up there and saying, you don't have to be this way, you can live a different life, was absolutely and utterly mind-blowing to me. And I, I watched that entire episode. I totally geeked out. I, I watched more and more and more of her videos. And I said to myself, I I'm going to do this. I knew I was going to do it. I didn't know how the hell I was going to convince my husband. I knew my family were going to say I was absolutely nuts. I had no idea what this kind of life really um, entailed. I just knew that it was for me. And when I know something's for me, I actually go really quiet with it. I don't like shout it from the rooftops and I don't like tell everybody. I hold it very close to my chest and I start making plans. So I started making plans towards unschooling my kids. I knew I wanted to take the boys out of school. I knew Ryan was not going to like it. Um, I knew that, you know, we were going to start making changes. And so I started gradually making changes with the kids and asking them how would they like it if they had more freedom. You know, our, my eldest son, Corey, who is an incredible gamer now at 14 years of age, is I think 11th. I thought he was 4th, but he tells me he's 11th. 11th in Ireland in Super Smash Bros that he plays. He's played internationally, right? All he ever wanted to do when he was a child was play computers. But of course, we were told, computers are bad. You're not like, it'll make them violent. Don't let them play violent games. You know, all the scaremongering that society fucking gives you, you know, about you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this. Bullshit. All of it, guys. It's bullshit. It's scaremongering. Say it for what it is. But anyway, all Corey ever wanted to do was play computers. If you had to let him play computers, he would have gone nuts playing the computer for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And he never wanted to finish. He hated the restrictions. And I was just like, I'm just going to let this child be free. And I just let him be free. I just let them all be free. So anyway, after speaking to Ryan and convincing him, and oh my God, he was like not on for it. But I said, let's try it for three months. Let's take them out of school for three months. And I I worked and worked and worked and worked on him. And I said, I really want to do this. And I, you need to trust me on this. I've done a lot of research, you know, he knew I'd done a hell of a lot of personal work. I'd studied the developing brain. I'd studied, you know, children's brains. I, I'm totally geek out in all this stuff. I, you know, I just studied, you know, languages and how language affect them. Our kids, we've they've always spoken Chinese Mandarin. They still speak it fluently, speak and write it fluently today. They still have a Chinese teacher comes twice a week. At that stage, they were speaking Spanish fluently as well. So he knew that I was very invested in children and children's development. So he trusted me. And I said to him one day, I said, I don't question how you, you know, and how you run your business and how you manage the family's finances because I wasn't working at the time. I said, so I would really love for you to trust. I said, I trust that you will provide what we need. I said, I need you to trust me that I know best in this situation and I will provide what the children need. And so he said, okay, I trust you. And so we took the kids out of school and um, the, I remember that they were like ecstatic that they didn't have to go back to school. And of course, what happened was the minute we removed all of the rules from the children, what happened? Well, your worst nightmare comes true. I'm just going to tell you, it does. If you ever decide to embark on a life of radical unschooling, your worst nightmare comes true. Because whenever you have held control in every single area with forced bedtimes, with forced, you know, with, you know, forced eating, with, you know, they don't have food freedom, they don't have bedtime freedom, they don't have, you know, screen time freedom, they can't just play their iPads whenever they want, you know, whenever you have that all controlled and you take the control away, exactly what you think will happen happens. They go nuts. It's like whenever you've been on a diet or whenever you've prepped for a bodybuilding show, 
show and you've been on an extreme diet and suddenly your show is over and you have the opportunity to eat. You know what pe- most people do? They binge, they eat, they drink, they give themselves everything that they've been denying themselves for the last 14 to 16 weeks. It's just human nature. Whenever we've been in a period of extreme denial and control, even if that control is self-imposed, once you remove the control, then we just go nuts, right? That's just human nature. Kids are no different, okay? So, but the, the reason why I'm telling you this story is because Whenever we first started radically unschooling, Ryan had no clue, like me. I had no clue what to do. He had no clue what to do either. So because this was the thing that I wanted to do, what did Ryan do? He took himself off into the lounge, closed the door and watched episodes back to back of Lost. Or maybe it was Breaking Bad or it was something anyway, but he literally binged watch episodes. He just removed himself from the family and went into his man cave and left me to cope with all the children. And the reason why this was so stressful, the reason why, you know, the story is relevant to what I'm telling you is because I was thrust into a massive period of uncertainty. I had never lived with my children in freedom and partnership. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what it looked like. Our family life up until then had always been, I am the parent and I am in charge and you are the child and you do as I say, right? That's how you live your life, isn't it? That's how you manage your children. Well, that's what we'd always done up until now. Well, let me tell you, see, whenever you take that away and you and you 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 put it into, okay, now I'm not in charge anymore and we are now living together in partnership. Well, let me tell you, it's chaos. So I was thrust into this massive time of uncertainty, okay? And I had no clue how to act. Like if you're not, so I was all in this, okay, now I have all these things where I'm not allowed to tell my kids or I've said I'm not going to, you know, enforce a bedtime on them. They can go to bed whenever they want. But the little shits will stay up all night and they'll make loads of noise. So like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Am I allowed to tell them to go to bed? Like, can I tell them now you have freedom, but then now you don't? You know, like what happens? Like I've cooked this beautiful meal for dinner, but like they don't want to eat it. Kai wants to have porridge and Jack wants to have chocolate. Do I just say to Jack, well, that's fine. That's fine, honey. No problem. You can have chocolate. Or do I say, no, you can't have the chocolate. You have to eat the dinner. Like I, I find myself in a complete and utter tiz, in a fear-based state. I was like my, I was in fight or flight for weeks. I, I hardly slept. I, I, you know, everything in our house changed, and I didn't know what to do because it was completely and utterly new. I was thrust into this unknown situation, and I had no clue what to do. And we as human beings have a need for certainty. We avoid the unknown because the unknown is scary. This is why many people, whenever they ask me about my lifestyle, they say to me, oh, you homeschool your kids. Wow, that sounds amazing. And so then they ask loads of questions and they say, what does that look like? Do you have to do any curriculum? Is that even legal? You know, whenever I say, no, we don't do any curriculum, the kids just learn through living life. They're like, oh my God, wow, but how do they learn? How do they, how do they socialize? Will they have loads of friends? Our house is like fucking kids central, let me tell you. But there's buses of children arrive at our house every day. Quite often I go to bed. Sometimes I'll come in, I, like, I went in on Saturday night. Was it Saturday night? Sunday night. I was running the masterclass here in the office Sunday night. I didn't get home till till 3 a.m. And because we ran the masterclass very late. So I, I arrived into the house at 3 a.m. I went into Maya's house. She's asleep, sprawled at Maya's house, Maya's um, bedroom. And she's asleep, sprawled over, you know, her best friend who's asleep in the bed beside her. Then I saw that Kai's light was on. So I went into Kai's room. He's asleep on the bed, like as if he's like sitting on the edge of the bed and fallen backwards and kind of twisted sideways with all of his LED lights on. And there's another child asleep in the bed. Now, normally they get into bed, but Kai, they must have just been playing late and Kai just fell asleep. He 
he's uh, nearly 13. And his other friend, um, Eben, he was asleep in the other bed. So then I went into Jack's room and Jack's lying, sound asleep with his TV on, right? So that I'm like, there's children everywhere. There's just like, sometimes I'll come home and like Jack's friend will be staying, Kai's friend will be staying, you know, Maya's friend will be staying. There's like children everywhere. I wake up in the morning and I never know who's going to be there. So, um, but I love it that way. So that's how the kids get socialized. But people always have all these questions and they always say, oh, I would love to do what you do. I would love to homeschool. And I say, well, you know, you should. And they go, oh, no, 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 I never could. And I'm like, oh, why not? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. But I mean, because what, well, you know, and and you can see immediately their mind goes, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. I can see how that would be good. But then immediately you present the option to them. They go, no, 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 I never could. And that's because human beings have a need for certainty. We have a need for certainty because the unknown is scary. But let me tell you something, right? Fear is just a lack of data. I'm going to say that again, okay, because I really want you to take it on. Fear is just a lack of data. Whenever you have no data on a situation, you feel fearful. Whenever it's something completely new and completely unknown, you feel fearful. Do you know why young children feel fearful a lot of the time? Because they have no data about the world, right? They have no data about the world. So young children have no data about the world, okay? So every situation they go into is new. You can walk into a gym, you can walk into an office, you can walk into a supermarket, You can because you've done these things many, many times before. But for young children, it's all new. Even whenever they get into a car and they're like, wow, it's a car, and they're looking out the window. And it's also, it's everything to a child is new. That's why they're filled with so much wonder, okay? Especially if they feel safe. But if they don't feel safe, they go into a new situation, they have no data. They don't know how to act. And so they don't know, they don't want to run off and have, you know, just make friends with people. They want to hold back sometimes and see what's happening or whatever, because they have no data. And as they get more data, then their fear dis- dissipates and then they, they feel better. And so fear is just a lack of, of data. And whenever we don't have data about a situation, we feel terrified or we feel not even terrified, but we feel scared. Our fight or flight goes off. We're not sure how to act. We're not sure how to be. And then whenever we get the data, then, you know, and, and things become in inverted commas more normal and we realize that actually you know it's not so scary it was just a viscera that we had in our body and that this you know supermarket is a, a nice place to be or whenever then you homeschool your kids and then what you realize is actually you know you, you, you're not going to punish your kids anymore but it's okay to say right guys come on everybody go to bed you don't have to go to sleep if you don't want but everybody go to bed because I'm going to bed right that's okay and then you, you realize that it's okay to say to your kids actually you know what would it be all right if you don't eat the chocolate for dinner because I've spent hours preparing a really nice meal and if you eat the chocolate not only are you a going to hurt your body but b I'm not, you know, you're not going to, I've spent all this time cooking this food and this food's going to go to waste. So, you know, it's okay to say that to your children. I mean, you guys are going, of course, it's okay to say that to your children, Kim, you're fucking nuts. But like really in the beginning, whenever I, I was like living under this new philosophy of no rules, I didn't know how to act. I was like, if there are no rules, what's left? What do you do? You know, so it was only whenever we find our new way of being and our new way of, of living together, I realized, well, you know what? Like if I had prepared a beautiful meal for Ryan and he came in eating like a McDonald's, Ryan never eats McDonald's. But if he did come in eating McDonald's, I would say, no, 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 hang on a second, Ryan. Don't eat that because I've prepared this beautiful meal for you. And I would have no problem saying that to him. And now he could still choose to eat the McDonald's and say, well, I don't care about you because I'm, you know, because I don't want your beautiful meal. But, you know, really he's not going to say that because he values my relationship more than anything. Kids also value their relationship with you. And whenever you give them the freedom to be who they are in a given situation, they will value you, 
you know, they will value you in the situation, but kids value their freedom more than anything. People, not kids, people, human beings value their freedom more than anything else in this world. And if you take away their freedom, they will fight for it. But whenever you give them their freedom and then you say to them, guys, but that would it be okay if like you stop making noise? Or is it okay if you please don't eat that chocolate for dinner? because I've cooked this beautiful meal. And then like like Ryan would, because he values me, they will say, oh yeah, sorry, never even thought. Absolutely, yeah, I'll sit down and I'll have some dinner because that's what my kids do all the time. So anyway, you know, so let's go back to fear as just a lack of data and why this is even relevant to what I'm talking about at the minute. You know, I always bring it back to what it's, what it's about, really. So fear is just a lack of data. Um, whenever I Whenever I did my first launch in the business, right, and this story is very relevant at the minute, and I'll tell you why. But whenever I did my first launch in the business, I decided that I was going to start this this network or this this business called the Sculpted Vegan. And I had this idea in my mind, and I was like, I'm gonna, you know, create this training program because I know that I have been searching for this information, and if I've been searching for it, then there's millions of other people searching for it, and I want to show women that they can, in their 40s, they can have an amazing body, they can sculpt the body of a physique athlete. I'm gonna give them, you know, athlete style information. I'm going to give them professional information as to how they too can get the results of a bodybuilder, whether or not they decide to stand on stage. And so um, I, I developed this program. It took me, you know, a year to develop it. And whenever I was ready to launch it, I I decided to do a launch, um, a webinar launch, a masterclass, right? I decided I would, I would launch a masterclass and then on the back of the masterclass, I would sell the, um, I would sell the program. Now, I I'm a numbers girl, okay? So there's a certain type of um, certainty that comes with numbers, right? Now, I was crap at maths in school. Just just to give this some context, I did not, I like barely scraped a C in my maths GCSE, which you do when you're 16. I don't know what the equivalent is in your country, but here it's called GCSEs. I barely scraped a C in my maths GCSE, and that was only because I got tutoring and I never, I never studied mathematics after that ever again, okay? Just to give some context here. But I'm a numbers girl in terms of I love seeing patterns and things. And so I know that there is a general rule um, There's a, that sales is just a numbers game, right? So the more people you have uh, registered or the more people you have in your funnel in business or the more people you have in your network, the more likely you are to either, you know, sell your product or um, whatever it is that you're you're looking to do. So in my, in my case, I was looking to sell my, you know, at the time it was a 12-month program. And so I decided to run this masterclass. And so I knew that if I got a certain amount of registrations with running the numbers, I realized that say I had like a thousand registrations, I knew that I would sell probably... Um, let me see. Well, I mean, I had heard the numbers bandied around that usually you sell 2% of registrations. So I knew that if I had a thousand people registered, I was going to sell maybe about 20 programs, okay? Because 2% of a thousand is is 20. So I was like, okay, so I, I if I sell 20 programs, you know, they were a thousand dollars each. I was like, I'm going to make $20,000, you know, so how much can I afford to, you know, that's a, that's a minimum, right? That's a minimum. So I thought, you know, how much can I afford to invest in ads? So I did the numbers. I had the certainty, right? I had the data. I had the certainty. I did the, I ran the numbers and I thought, well, you know what? I can, I did all the Facebook ads myself in those days. I thought I can afford to spend about 10,000 pounds on Facebook ads because I thought with these numbers, you know, if I get, if I spent 10,000 um, on ads and I get, you know, like at the time, oh my God, I spent 10,000 and I only got a thousand registrations. It's insane. Now we can get like a thousand, I can get a thousand registrations without spending any money on ads. So, um, but in the, obviously it was early days. No one knew who I was in the beginning. I had no credibility. I had no social proof. I had nothing. So I, um, I, I thought I can afford to invest 10,000 
£10,000. So I did all the Facebook ads myself. I invested £10,000, not up front. Obviously, you know, I decided as the registrations came in and I saw what was working and what wasn't working, I, um, I, I you know, I increased the budget and I decided just to, you know, just to go all in and just to invest and just to really believe in my ability to sell this program to people because I truly believe that it would change lives. It would change other people's lives the way it would change my life. But let me tell you something, right? See that first what, see that first masterclass that I ran or that first business launch, I shat myself on a daily basis. I'm not even kidding. I shat myself on a daily basis. I, like every day I was checking the registrations and then something happened and we had Zapier, you know, connecting at the time. It was Aweber. I was using a, a, an email software, Aweber to, you know, go to webinar. I had, you know, those two connecting and, and then um, and then it stopped firing. And then I had just one guy, Alan, who is my director of design and development in the team's called vegan he was the only person who was working for me at the time and he was a freelancer he wasn't even working for me in the company and you know he and I built we built the masterclass together we've been together from the very beginning like weeks and weeks leading up to that you know that launch the launch period is usually about uh, three weeks long so you'll you'll advertise for, for about you know a week before the masterclass then you run the masterclass then you have like a two week you know that goes on for a week and then you have like a one a one week promotional period and so um well, so what happened was I I, I ended up doing pretty well. I think I sold, uh, f I, I made fifty two thousand dollars. I think I sold, I think it was about forty programs, and then I or thirty nine programs or something. And then I ended up, you know, taking on a a coaching client, um, who like an annual coaching client. So she was paying me a thousand dollars a month. So I ended up making about fifty two thousand dollars. So I was delighted, right? So I spent ten thousand pounds on ads. I ended up making about forty five or whatever it was, thousand dollars, forty, forty five thousand dollars. So I made a profit and I was very happy. And um now the reason why I'm telling you this is because the first launch that I ever ran was I literally absolutely crapped myself on a daily basis. But then the next launch that I ran, um then we then we, you know, the business started to grow. I hired someone to do Facebook ads and and we started, you know, running what's called an evergreen webinar and we had people funneling in and the business started to grow. And then the next launch that I decided to do, you know, because the first one had already worked, I was a little less fearful, right? So the next one that we did, you know, I still had a little bit of fear, but less fear, right? Because obviously I'd already done one before. And this time I had other people, experts doing my Facebook ads. So we had far more registrations. And in the second launch, we made, I think it was $240,000. And I was like, oh my God, like it was brilliant. So then I had more proof. Not only had I been selling the product all year, because people, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd had about 50 to 60 people per month spending $1,000 on our product. And, um, and so then we ran this other launch and we made like a quarter of a million dollars. And I was like, wow, my God, this is insane. So then of course, you know, we kept selling the program and then, you know, people kept purchasing. And then in the next launch, we made $400,000. And so, so what happened was, I'm not telling you to brag about my business or anything, but I'm telling you that with every launch that we did, we were able to invest more and more and more money because we had a proven sales funnel. And we knew that with certainty, right? We had data that people wanted the product because they were purchasing it. We had data that our funnel worked, i.e. the masterclass was valuable and that people would, you know, get so much information out of it that a small portion of them would want to purchase the product at the end. And then we also knew that, um, that, that, you know, the communities were growing and, and that we were really starting to change lives and that people were taking this information, they were using it and they were transforming themselves. So we had all of this, or we had all of this data that not only did the program work on other people apart from me, but that people actually wanted it and that our sales funnels were working to sell the program. So of course, you know, as then, so as the, as we, we ran more, um, we ran more launches and we ran more ads and we launched more programs and the 
company grow, grew, you get a certain, you get a degree of certainty, right? You get data. So fear is simply just a lack of data. Um, and then as I got more data, the fear went away and I stopped being scared. I stopped like checking constantly my sales every day. I stopped like having living with this fear every day of, is it going to work? Is it going to work? Is it going to work? I stopped being fearful that I was going to, you know, be able to pay my bills every day. I stopped being fearful that I was going to be able to meet my wage bill every month, which as I took on more staff and as the business grew, you know, and as we expanded, my wage bill was climbing every single month. And so, I began to get less fearful because even if, you know, our cash flow into the business wasn't great that month, I knew that, you know, we had maybe another product launch coming up or we were doing a four-week shred launch. And, and we, I knew that we had other products coming that would support the biz and that would take the, you know, the weight off the cash flow. And so I began to settle, right? I began to settle into a rhythm. The business was doing really well. We had proven data on Facebook ads. We had proven data on, you know, how much it cost us to get a customer. We had proven data on, um, you know, on the sales funnel, on the masterclass. We had, we had a lot lot of data, right? A lot, a lot, a lot of data. So in the business, finally, this year, I would say from kind of last, um, maybe last September, October, I finally stopped being fearful. I stopped living with fear every day because I now had so much data that there was no fear, right? There was no fear. I, I, I had been through ups and downs. I'd been through cash flow problems and I realized I could get through them. I had, you know, been through product launch flops. I had been through product launch, you know, um, insanely good ones. I knew what worked, what didn't work. We had so much data on our customers. We were able to rejig programs so that, you know, we answered every single question within the program. So it, it really took the pressure off the admins and the coaches because they didn't have to answer so many questions in the Facebook group, blah, 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 blah. Okay. The biz got a certain amount of certainty. And then coronavirus struck. Oh yes, baby, coronavirus struck. And suddenly my business was thrown into absolute and utter uncertainty. Uncertainty because we had, we are actually in the middle of a product launch, okay? Not a product launch, but we only open the Sculpt and Shred program once a year. We open it now. We used to run it on Evergreen Funnel, which meant that we were running, you know, ads to the masterclass every month and we allowed people to purchase off that. But we, we decided that we weren't going to do that last year. After the opening, we decided we were only going to open it once a year because we really wanted to, um, we really wanted to, to bring in, you know, people into the program who, uh, who could move through the journey together, who could move through the, you know, the at least the first 12 months together and could really, you know, we have a very tight-knit community anyway, but we just decided that, you know, we would only open it once a year and that would be good. And so that so this time at the minute, right, this, this, this time that I'm speaking to you right now is in the middle of the, um, the Sculpt and Shred reopening, grand reopening every year. How do you think it's going? <laughs> Like I laugh, right? But seriously, how do you think it's going? No, it's not going very well whatsoever. It's like, holy shit, like talk about a launch flop, okay? So now, listen, I can cope with a launch flop. I'm like, I'm the kind of person I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, like shit happens, you know, sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't, except that I have a pretty enormous multiple five-figure um, wage bill every month. So now I am not just, you know, I'm not just paying my wages or worrying about, you know, the money that I'm bringing in for me. I have a whole team of people around the world whose livelihood is dependent on me. So not only are my family dependent on me now, but I have the lives of other people and their families 
are dependent on me now. And let me tell you something, that adds a whole other level of uncertainty, lack of data, and complexity to the problem. A whole new level of complexity. So here's what happens whenever you are thrust into a situation such as I am thrust into at the minute and you are thrust into. This is why I wanted to talk about this, okay? I am not alone here. Every business owner in the world practically at the minute is concerned. Certainly in America, Canada, the UK, Ireland, uh, China, Italy, France, Spain, okay? They're all concerned at the minute simply because the countries are on lockdown. Nobody is out spending money. No, the only people who are winning are the supermarkets, right? Nobody is out spending money. Everybody's concerned about their income. Everybody's concerned about their loss of income. A lot of people have actually lost their jobs and lost their income. You know, people who were being paid by the hour or, you know, people who are working in restaurants or cafes or or movie cinemas or, or whatever, you know, they are all closed. And now they're not closed forever, but they're closed for, you know, a period of time, which means that so many people have lost their jobs. So everybody is into a period at the minute of uncertainty and the lack of data is what is causing the problem. I was sitting down today thinking about this and I was like, it's weird because, you know, I still have a monthly recurring revenue model, which means that I'm, you know, payments are still flowing into the business every month. Thank goodness my business is not dependent on, you know, monthly sales to survive. However, many people may not be able to make those payments because of, you know, what's happening at the minute. And so that's, you know, so that is a lot, that is a lack of data I don't have. You know, are people going to be able to pay their bills? I don't know. Lack of data. Um, am I going to be able to meet my wage bill every month? I don't know. Lack of data. Are we actually, you know, is anybody going even to be spending money on on 18 month programs at the minute? Probably not, but I, I would guess not. But again, lack of data. So all of this lack of data is causing a massive amount of fear to seep in. Okay. A massive amount of fear to seep in. But here's what I realized today. I was sitting here in my office and I was gathering all the data and I said, okay, I need to pull out all of my spreadsheets. I need to see what is my monthly recurring revenue? What is What are all my outgoings? You know, how can I prepare? How long, how many months could I pay the wages for before this, you know, before we, we have to go under? So I'm gathering all the data today and I realized something It occurred to me that I was fighting fear in my head that wasn't actually in front of me in reality. Let me explain. So I remember years ago listening to Eckhart Tolle, um, one of the great spiritual leaders, and he has a book called The Power of Now. Or if you're in Northern Ireland, you say The Power of Now. Except when I say The Power of Now, nobody understands me, okay? But it's a very Northern Irish thing, The Power of Now. So The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And he was talking about how, and I, this bit always stuck with me in the book, um, it was the audiobook version of The Power of Now. And um, he said that the problem is most of us have the fear, like I was saying, fear is a lack of data. Okay, human beings have a need for certainty. Whenever we don't have certainty, we have fear. What is fear? Fear is a lack of data, which ties into the lack of certainty, okay? Fear is a lack of data. Whenever the brain does not have data, okay, do you know what it does? It makes shit up. Oh, yes. Your brain is very, very creative. My brain is very, very creative. So do you know what my brain started doing the minute I registered that I may not be able to make my wage bill and all these people's lives hung in the balance and that I did not have this certainty of money coming in, money going out, you know, product launches. We have so many product launches planned for this year. We had so many amazing things to bring to people that we just knew people were going to love. And now that all hangs in the balance. Are we going to be able to do these? Are people going to have money to spend? Like We just don't know. I mean, I'm 
guessing, yes, because we're not going to go into lockdown forever. But, you know, but all this uncertainty. And then what I realized was my brain had gone into supercharge, make shit up mode. Supercharge, make shit up mode. Yep, that's what I called it. So my bit brain had um, immediately started imagining life in my family with us. I, in, in my mind, right, we were living in some kind of, you know, tiny little, you know, two-bedroom house, you know, making our own food, you know, I say making our own food, like, you know, making our own um, snacks and bars, like no money to buy anything in the supermarket, you know, like children living in rags, you know, and I was immediately going into, you know, okay, well, you know, we can just drive one car you know, I can sell my car. And I was like, well, nobody's going to want to buy my car because it's a really expensive car. But, you know, that's fine. And then I immediately went into, well, okay, well, what can we sell to make money? And and then I started imagining, you know, I have a chef, obviously, who works for the company, Ian. And then I have Lorraine, my housekeeper, and I have my assistant, Courtney, and I have all of these people. And I'm like, you know, and, and all of these guys who work for me. And then, then I started making shit up about them. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm imagining Mark, you know, our creative director, and imagining him not being able to pay his bills and, and Jamie not being able to feed her family and Alan not being able to get married. And, and I imagine, and, and my brain's going into like, Alan, how having a conversation with his fiance, uh, fiance about postponing his wedding. And then I started, you know, and then I suddenly was like, oh my God, what are you doing? And like, I caught myself on. Fucking stop. Like, I literally wanted to smack myself in the face. Stop. So here's what my brain was doing, right? My brain was going off into this imaginary crisis. And not only was I imagining a crisis for myself, I was I was having a wheel of a time. I should have had fucking popcorn and a bloody, and a, and a soft drink, you know, because I was, I was like imagining the crises of all of the people on my payroll, okay? And I was like, seriously, Kim, stop. And I stopped for a second and I was like, what do you have? Like, I, I anchored myself in the present moment. I gathered all of my years of, of yoga teaching, yoga teacher training, right? And I anchored myself in the present moment. I, I started to breathe. I put my feet on the floor. My feet were on the floor anyway, but I, I was aware suddenly of my feet on the floor. And I, I was breathing and I felt my my body and I and I looked around me and I anchored my awareness away from the shit that my brain was making up into the present moment. And I realized I'm sitting here in my warm, comfortable office with my computer, with electricity, with, you know, with my microphone here, I'm talking to you guys, with my candle burning. I have money in the bank. I have um, heat, light, food. I have a wonderful, loving husband. I have four beautiful children. I have my health. I have everything. I have everything that I need right now. But apart from even all those things, which again are not here with me, which are in my mind, like my husband and kids are at home, I'm here in the office. I, I reminded myself that in this moment, I am safe. I am safe. I am warm. And there is no problem. There is no problem. The only problem that existed in that moment was in my head. It was in my head. And this is what we do. This is what I do. This is what you do. This is what everybody does. Your your brain, right, can cope with anything that's in front of it. Any problem that presents itself to you in front of you this second, your brain can cope with. Your body can cope with. Your senses can cope with. You can cope with anything that's in front of you. What you cannot cope with or deal with is the shit that you make up in your head. You know why? Because it's not real. 
It feels real because it's in your head. And because we can imagine things that happened in the past that were real, we actually believe that the shit we make up in our head is real. And so then we get really scared, right? We scare ourselves. We create all this, all these illusions in our brain, and then we scare the crap out of ourselves. And then we react as if the things in our brain have actually happened, but they haven't. If you bring yourself back to this present moment, you are probably fine. And I'm guessing you're probably fine because if you're listening to this podcast right at the minute and you have me talking in your ear, maybe you're wearing headphones, maybe you're walking, maybe you're sitting in your office, maybe you're on the treadmill, maybe you are in the kitchen preparing dinner and this is playing on a speaker. Wherever you are, I want you to stop for a second and I want you to become aware, aware of your breathing, aware of your feet on the floor, unless your feet are up on a desk or on a bed, that's fine, but just be aware of the weight of your body pressing down. I want you to become aware of the sound of my voice in your head, and I want you to anchor yourself in this present moment, no matter where you are, because this is all that is real. And if you are warm, if you are comfortable, if you are not hungry, maybe you're hungry because it's a mealtime, but what I mean is if you have access to food somewhere, then you do not have a problem. Now, something may happen. You may be facing bankruptcy. You may be facing not being able to pay your mortgage this month. You may be facing a lot of problems, right? But let me tell you, when those problems come, you will deal with them when they are presented in front of you. But what you cannot deal with is the fear your brain will create in your head that is not in front of you, that is not real. So what you need to do in difficult times and what I did today and what I continue to do every day, because this is a practice, guys. This is not something that you that will just happen to you. It's something you need to practice. You can live in your head and you can you can scare the crap out of yourself with all of these imagined scenarios that are not real. But when you anchor yourself in the present moment and you feel your breath coming into your body and leaving again, when you feel your blood coursing through your veins, when you feel your feet on the floor or your butt on the seat or wherever, whatever it is that you're doing, whenever you feel alive in this present moment, you realize you don't have a problem. You don't have a problem. Did you ever see that movie As Good As It Gets? It's one of my favorite movies ever. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend that you watch it. It's um, it's Jack Nicholson is in it, and I can't remember the the name of the the guy. Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it too, but I can't remember the name of the guy. But it's, the character's name in it is Simon, right? Greg Greg Kinnear, I think that's what it is. Greg Kinnear, and uh, the character's name is Simon. His character's name is Simon, and he he gets beaten up really badly, and he's evicted from his apartment, and his life that he knew is gone, and it's a really shitty time for him, and he. I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but what happens at the end of it is he has this epiphany moment, right? Where everything that he thought that he that he had and he needed was gone. And he was feeling so sorry for himself in his own words that he was finding it difficult to breathe. And then something happened and he had this epiphany moment. He had an integration where he realized that he he saw it was Helen Hunt, actually, the character in that her name is Carol, and he saw Carol in the bathroom putting her hair up and she just looked and she was running a bath sitting on the edge of the bath and he's gay and she's um she's not anyway I won't spoil the whole storyline for you but he sees her sitting on the bath and he says to her hold it 
because he's inspired in that moment to paint and he ha- he's a painter and he hasn't painted or drew anything since you know he was um, beaten up and or since he was attacked and he draws her and they spend the entire night drawing they spend they spend the entire night her posing for him you know him drawing and they have this really beautiful transformative experience together and in the morning you know you know Jack Nicholson comes in and and he's all like oh you know and and you know where are you gonna you know um what are you gonna do why are you so happy and he's like I don't know I don't know just something has transformed in me and I just feel happy so his whole experience had changed like he literally had a physiological change that changed his experience of his reality yes he was now homeless. Yes, he had no money. Yes, he had no clue what he was going to do. But in that moment, he realized it didn't matter because he was going to be okay. And and it's it's such a beautiful, beautiful time in the movie. And of course, it turns out like Jack Nicholson is is this gruff old guy that who actually ends up changing the whole way through the movie. And and um, he he brings Greg Kinnear in to live with him, and he says to him, you know, hey, I got to go back because I got to see where I'm going to hang my hat. And uh, and then you know, Jack Nicholson says to him, you know. He says, I need to know where I'm staying. And he goes, well, does it matter? He knows that he's going to stay with him, but he hasn't told him. He's like, does it matter where you're going to stay? And and Greg Kinnear's like, no, actually it doesn't. And in that moment, he has this freedom. He has a freedom because he realizes it actually doesn't really matter where I'm going to stay. I can choose to be happy wherever I am. I can choose to be happy wherever I'm going to stay. I can choose to be okay you know and and that's what i i want to that's what i really wanted to bring home to you in this podcast episode i wanted to bring home to you the fact that you have the ability in any crisis in any lack of data in any time of uncertainty to ground yourself in the present moment and realize that you are okay and that you can cope with anything that is in front of you self esteem um a lot of us believe that self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. You know, you have high self-esteem if you have a high belief in yourself. But actually, um, you know, years ago, I I used to work with a company and and they defined self-esteem in a different way, right? And they defined self-esteem as the number of options an individual perceives in any given situation. So whenever you are feeling out of options or whenever you're feeling like you don't have a lot of options in the world, it's actually... um, it, that's what damages your self-esteem. That's when you have low self-esteem. But when you feel like you have a lot of options, then you feel like you have very high self-esteem. So that's why they talk, you know, uh, there's a lot of perception about wealthy people having very high self-esteem. It's not that they particularly have high self-esteem. There's a lot of um, wealthy individuals who who have very low self-esteem, actually, who, um, who don't feel good about themselves, but they have a lot of options in the world. Whenever you feel that you have a lot of options, in any situation, then you feel like you have high self-esteem. So what I did today, whenever I realized that I was feeling fearful, um, I, I did two two different practices. In fact, I did I did a couple of practices, and these are the practices that I want to give to you now. Okay, so you can take a pen and paper, and you can write these down, or you can just you know glance at your phone or device or whatever you're listening to this podcast on. You can take a note of at the minute that I start to talk about this. You can go back and revisit it because it's it's really good if you just listen to it. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Here's the exercise that I did today. I want you to um, I want you to take fear, take your fear, and I want you to generate options. 
So whatever your biggest fear is, I want you to generate options. So here's what I did today. So my, I realized that my biggest fear was that I'm not going to be able to, um, first of all, pay my American Express bill because I have an American Express card and I put all of my ad spend on American Express. My American Express bill is currently sitting at over £100,000, which needs paid off next month, which normally would not be an issue whatsoever. But of course, if I pay off a £100,000 wage bill or Amex bill, then, you know, and there's no money coming into the business, then obviously that throws me into a bit of a sticky situation. So I was like, okay, I'm going to generate all my options here for paying this Amex bill. Let's just say I couldn't pay a single penny of it. What are my options? And I started to write down all my options wh- and whether I would choose them or not. So that the 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 thing here in this exercise is don't limit yourself, okay? Don't limit yourself by and say, well, I would never choose that. You know, if it's an option, write it down. So for example, I drive a very expensive car and, you know, my car is worth a lot of money. So I, one of my options was sell my car. Now, if I sold my car, I could, you know, say my car is probably worth about, you know, well, it's two years old now, so it's probably only worth about 40 grand, 40,000 pounds. But if, I'll say only, but, you know, it is probably, you know, at two years old, you could get about 40,000. In fact, I think it's nearly three years old. Um, It'll be three years old, I think, in January. So, or two, no, two years old in January, two years old in January. So you probably get about 40,000 pounds for it. So I was thinking, well, I could sell my car for 20,000 pounds, right? Now, would I want to do it? No, because I'm going to be, you know, but someone would pick it up at 20,000 because they'd be getting a bargain and then they could sell it on whenever the, you know, the economic climate, you know, um, turns up again and they could make a profit on it. So I was like, I could sell my car. There's an option. Would I want to choose it? No, but it's still an option that I have. You know, I could, you know, apply to the loan, you know, the bank for a loan. I could, um, I could ask the staff to take a 25% pay cut. I could, I could take a 75% pay cut in my monthly wages. I could, you know, I started to generate all of these different options that I could choose to, you know, to, to pay my Amex bill. And suddenly when I had all these options, I was like, oh, wow. And suddenly the Amex bill didn't seem so scary. And then I started to look at, okay, you know, my, my wage bill every month, right? How much is my, so I started to gather all the data. How many incoming payments do I have every month? What are my outgoings? You know, what, what are, what, where could I cut money? Where could I generate more money? I started to look at all of the ways, you know, that I could either generate more money or I could, um, I could, you know, decrease payments, de- decrease outgoings. I started to look at all of the data and I started to write down all of my options. And immediately I felt better because I realized, oh my God, I have so many options, so many options. Now, would I want to choose them? No. Some of them, would they be comfortable? No. But, you know, but but ultimately, uh, you know, I'm okay. And ultimately, like, if I decided just to close the business completely, now a lot of people would be impacted. I would never want to do that. But ultimately, I could actually choose, if I were forced to, to completely close my whole business and just allow the monthly payments to flow into the business, right? So I would still keep the Facebook groups going. I would still, you know, support the people. But I could literally close the whole business and allow the monthly payments still to flow into the business and be perfectly okay. Would I want it to happen? No, of course not. I want the business to keep growing and we will stay afloat, but it is an option. And even knowing that it was an option made me feel better. Do you see where I'm going with this, guys? I want you to sit down, whatever fear you have over the coronavirus, over your situation, over your job, over your family, whatever it is, I want you to generate options. Can you create a food bank with your family Can you and friends in the neighborhood? Can you all club together in some way? Can you, you know, 
what are the options, right? Just what what do you have that you could sell? What do you have that you could sell on eBay or on Gumtree? Or, you know, what services do you have that you could offer to people, you know, for money? Or, you know, what are your options? That's what you have to look at. What are your options? And I, I, I guarantee you, if you sit down and look at your options, you will find that you have many. The second thing that I did, which I really encourage you to do as well, and this one's even probably more important than the options one, is I want you to... Um, journal gratitude. So like I said in the beginning, the opposite of sadness is not happiness, it's gratitude. Sometimes whenever I can't sleep at night, I I lie in bed and if I'm worrying about things or worrying about the business or worrying about, you know, the kids or staff or whatever, whenever you own a, a large business and you employ a lot of people and you're spending a lot of money, you know, you do worry, right? Worry is part of life. You can't help it. But anytime I find myself worry, what I do is I I force myself to stop worrying and to start focusing on gratitude. And I even go into, I am grateful for this pillow on which I my head is lying. I am grateful for the Egyptian cotton sheets, which Lorraine ironed and put on my bed three days ago. I am grateful for my husband snoring beside me because it means that I have a man in my life who loves me and who I love. It means that I have experienced love in my life. I am grateful for my four children who are healthy and and have no problems. I'm grateful that I have them home with me and they are young and able to, you know, um, thrive and be close to me. I'm grateful for the hot water in which I took my bath tonight. I am grateful for the carpets that, you know, that that I get to walk on every day. I'm grateful for our beautiful big garden and our trampoline, which give my children so much joy. Like, I really just take it back to, I am grateful for the soap with which I have to wash my hands. I know this seems crazy, guys, but whenever you can find a deep, deep gratitude in the simple things, your whole experience changes. And anytime I can't sleep and I and I practice gratitude, what happens is I, fi- I wake up in the morning, I go, oh my God, like I fell asleep. Literally, I fall asleep within a few minutes of practicing gratitude simply because my whole physiology changes. I'm not fighting demons in my head anymore, which are, are not real, which are imagined. I'm able to sink into the present moment, which is really all you have. All we have is right now. Everything else only exists in your head. Nothing else exists except what's happening right now. That's all that exists. And if you can practice anchoring yourself in the present moment, everything changes. The The last thing that I, I do is I make a daily commitment to stop thriving on worry. Worry feels good, okay? Worry feels good. Ryan and I arrived at the gym this morning to train and I sat in the car and I had like this knot of anxiety in my stomach, which I've had for a couple of days now because I haven't really known what is the best thing to do with the launch, with the business, with supporting the members, with, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty this this week, which has caused this knot in my stomach. And I, and I, even though I'm really good at grinding myself, I just couldn't get rid of the knot. And I said to Ryan, I don't want to go into the gym and train. I don't want to go in. I just want to sit here in the car. And I knew that I wouldn't, but I was just honest with my feelings. I said, I I feel like I want to go to my office and I want to start looking at the numbers and talking to my team. I wanted to thrive on the worry, right? The worry felt good. The worry felt productive. It felt like if I could just get to the office and talk to Alan and talk to Courtney and talk to Jamie and we could make a plan and we could look at the numbers and we could decide what to do, that, that would feel good to me. Action feels good. Whenever you have this worry, you know, then, and you, you talk and talk and talk about it, then it's a, it's a, a, dis, a discharge of pain. In yoga, what we learn is that suffering 
which is what worry is, right? Worry is just suffering and suffering is pretend, okay? Suffering is, is um, you can feel pain in your body and you can uh, choose to acknowledge that pain and not suffer over it. Suffering is, is made up. Suffering is something that we do. It's not foisted upon us. It's something that we choose to do. And suffering, you know, it, it does, it does feel good, unfortunately. But, you know, so I sat in the, in the car with Ryan and I said to him, you know, I really don't want to go and do this. I wanted to go and suffer over this perceived problem that was happening in my head. Because in reality, I was sitting in a, in a warm, comfortable car about to go in and train in the gym. There, I had no problem in that moment. I had my husband safe and healthy and well beside me, my kids safe and healthy at home. So I, anyway, but I knew that I would feel better. So we went into the gym and I smashed a back workout, absolutely smashed it. You know, um, did was deadlifting, you know, lat pull downs, you know, big, big, big weights. And I forgot all about my worries. And I, I left the gym and, and Ryan put his arm around me and we walked to the car and I felt I felt like a massive release in my body because that's what training does. Training discharges the pain, and that's what we, we well, that's what we learn in yoga. You know, suffering is a discharge of pain. Whenever you feel pain in your body, whenever you feel anxiety, which is a form of pain, anxiety or worry um, in your body, and then you suffer, i.e., you talk it out with people, you tell people about it, you discuss the problem. You, you know, that's what discussing a problem is, and, and people talking and talking and talking about it. You're just discharging pain. Okay, but there are other ways to discharge pain apart from suffering. One of the best ways you can discharge pain is by exercising. Go for a run, get on the treadmill, get on the stairmaster, you know, run up and down your stairs, skip, pick up some dumbbells and do a workout. Focus your energy and your mind and your attention into something productive. Because whenever you have adrenaline built up in your body, you have to discharge the adrenaline. And when you discharge the adrenaline, you feel better and you stop worrying. The it's almost like the worry drives the adrenaline and the adrenaline drives the worry. And whenever you stop, you know, looping around adrenaline and worry and you focus it into training at home, everything changes. That's why we released that 90-day home workout program, which you can pick up on our website, The Sculpted Vegan. It's why we're doing this training on, on Sunday, which is all about, you know, training from home, working from home, because I want people to be able to focus their energy. It's not that I'm trying to make light of what's happening or make light of people's fears or make light of, of what's happening to them, but I want them to realize, I want you to realize listening to this podcast that you have the, the power to change your reality. You have the power to change your reality. You know, at, there's a, a really great quote that I, I love, which says, freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. Freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. So stimulus coming in means, you know, the economy is is um, is in a depression or, um, you know, we're, we're on lockdown or you can't leave your house or, you know, there's a coronavirus or whatever. Some kind of stimulus comes in. Information normally. Information comes in and then we we have a, um, a response in our body. Usually it's a fear response if it's a lack of data. But if you can pause, if that information comes in and you can force your body to pause, which usually comes from anchoring yourself in the present moment, then you can choose how to respond. You're, you may still feel fear, but you, you can choose to not indulge the fear and suffer. You can choose to breathe, relax, distract your mind, change your state, think about something else and come back to it another time. Or even you can just take a nano pause. You can take a two minute or a five minute or a two second or a five second or a 10 second pause and then you can react. But if you don't 
have that pause, then you're always going to be a reactive human being instead of a proactive human being. Proactive people get in, get data, data comes in, information comes in, proactive people stop, pause, evaluate, and then respond. Reactive people just respond without thinking, like a dog. You know, you 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 pull out a biscuit and the dog goes, <laughs> and the dog wants a biscuit. Like the dog can't think of anything else. The dog can't go, hmm, let me think. Do I really need this biscuit right now? Will this biscuit ruin my diet? Will this biscuit ruin my appetite? Will I still eat my dinner? No, dogs do not have that ability. Dog goes, biscuit, give me biscuit, want to salivate. You know, dog, they don't have any power of reasoning and thought. But human beings do, but we act like we don't. But the more you realize you do, the more you realize that you have the power to change your reality. You have the power to choose how you react to every single situation. Everything changes. You may not become like some kind of spiritual guru. You may still react in fear. That's okay. We're all human. That's what we do. But even knowing and understanding that you have the power to change it is transformative because then you know that if you don't choose it, that you're doing it mindfully. Once you have this information and you realize you have the power, it's very hard to go back because then you can be like, oh yeah, I'm like indulging this at the minute. I'm like choosing, choosing to indulge this. I'm choosing to suffer. I'm choosing this fear. I'm choosing to not recognize it in this moment standing here. I'm totally fine. And, you know, and, and then it just becomes about choices at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's really all I have to say. Apart from, you know, one other thing I want to leave you guys with is I want for you, you, you to look for the opportunity in every situation. Another thing that I do, and I know this has gone a long time, so well done for staying with me, but I think it's important information. And, you know, I want you to look for the opportunity in every situation. You know, even though, you know, my business is is precarious in a precarious situation at the minute, like everybody's is, and I don't even know if we're going to survive this. I truly don't. I'm still looking for the opportunity in this situation. I'm still looking for you know, I'm, 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 I said to my team, let's look at how we can support people. Let's look at how we can be the person that is providing value to people in a time when they be the person, be the company that's providing value to people in a time where they need it most. Where can we use the resources that we have while we're still here? And we're not, you know, we're not creating new programs. We're not, you know, doing all that stuff at the minute. You know, we've put all of our plans on hold, but yet we're all still here working. Okay. And we're a remote company anyway. We're all, we all isolated at home anyway. So nothing has changed for us. No one's been sent home from the office to work at home because we all work from home anyway. Apart from me, I have an office with my assistant, Courtney. But, you know, so I said to the guys, let's, you know, I said to Ian, my chef, I was like, Ian, right, I want eight recipes and I want them by tomorrow. I said, I want low cost recipes that we can, we're going to do ready, steady, cook. I said, I might not even be here to film you, but I might send Courtney over to film you. I said, we're going to do live cooking demos. I want you showing people how they can cook low cost meals at home, low cost food, how they can soak beans and lentils and, and, you know, they don't have to you know, go out for fresh, you know, produce. If they're at home, I want you to to really show people how they can how they can do this from home. I, and then I was like, okay, team. I said, Alan, I want you to redesign the website. How can we redesign the website? And Alan was like, redesign the website. I was like, I really want you to look up what can we give for free. What do we have as free resources for people? Throw them up on the website. I want everyone who goes on my website to be able to get some kind of resource. I want the free home program up there, which is there anyway. I want the free masterclass recording. I want the free this. I want the free that. I was like, how can we support people? It's like, okay, guys, what else? I can do yoga practice. 
practices, free yoga practices in the morning. Okay, I can do, you know, we've got the 90-day home workout. We've got the, you know, the masterclass coming up. I can do, you know, workouts from home. I can show people how to do, you know, workouts with dumbbells. How can I support people? How can I, you know, make podcasts like this to help people with mindset? How can I make podcasts about training from home? Like, where's the opportunity here? What opportunity do I have to, to help people through this? That's what we're all looking for. And that's what I have the team focused on. Even sitting here in my office and talking to you with my headphones on, talking into this microphone, I feel better. I feel better. I haven't been focusing on the numbers and focusing on the anxiousness and focusing on the bills and focusing on the economic downturn. And I haven't been focusing on any of that. I've just been focusing on talking to you guys and I feel immediately uplifted. I feel more powerful. I feel happier. I feel more grounded. And I feel deeply, deeply, deeply grateful for every single one of you that lets me talk into your ear every single week. You've no idea. Like, I know I'm not just sitting here talking to myself. I know that I'm talking to you, you listening to this now. And I know that you that you value this information. I know that you value the connection with me just as much as I value the connection with you. And really, that's all that matters. There's nothing else that matters. I don't. I know that many of you listening to this have never bought a program from me ever, and that's fine. I don't need you to buy a program for me to have a connection with you. I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this to try and get as much as I can out of you. I'm in this because I genuinely love connection, and I love helping people, and I love helping them be better in their lives. And like, that's what life is about. That's what this world is about. That's why we were put here to build value, to build connection and to, you know, and to further our humanity. And, you know, but that, that comes from, from first furthering your own humanity. And the more grounded you are, the more at, at touch with your feelings you are, the more in the present moment you are, the more uh, logical and rational you are, the more you have the chance to affect others in a positive way. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for people you love, do it for your kids, do it for your husband, do it for your family. Be the person who is grounded. Be the person who chooses to see the opportunity and the positivity in every situation because it's there if you look for it. If you look for the opportunity and the positivity, it's there. It's there. You just have to be active in seeking it and you will change the narrative. You will change the energetic field. You will change the energetic, the, the vibration of your family. You can change the world. And even if the world for you is just like that little, you know, your own community, maybe that is your world, but you can change not only your experience of the world, but you can affect other people around you. If you just choose to stay grounded, you choose to stay grateful and you choose to see the positive in every situation and embrace the change and recognize it's just a lack of data. Your brain wants to fill in the data with fear. Don't let it. You're in control. You're in control in every single moment. And I hope that you choose to take that control and make it into something good and positive and better for you, better for your family, and ultimately better for the world. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This was absolutely and utterly awesome. Um, if you want to sign up for the free masterclass happening this Sunday on how to train from home, go to our website, thesculptedvegan.com. It's there on um, at the very top of the website. You can sign up on Sunday. You can download your free gym program from our website. Um, you can do it at home with two dumbbells and a resistance band. That's it. That's all you need. If you have a home gym, there's a program in there for you too. But if you don't, two dumbbells and a resistance band. If you don't have dumbbells, two bottles of Evian will do. <laughs> Whatever you've got, two cans of beans, lift them up and get moving okay don't let you know i'm gonna say you know don't let excuses seep in as to why you can't do it you can and and it, it'll feel so good when you train and you know and if if you don't do it for any other reason do it because you'll feel better afterwards and it's better for your body and it's healthier for you and healthier for the world guys um i love you stay safe 
um, I will be back with another podcast um, episode next week, next Thursday. But until then, have an absolutely wonderful week wherever you are. Stay grateful, stay connected, stay grounded. And thank you so much for listening. I do love each and every one of you. And I deeply appreciate your time and attention. This is Kim Constable. And I will speak to you very soon.